everyone. I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One-on-One Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Welcome back to Matan's One-on-One Parsha podcast, where we discuss deep thematic points about the weekly Parsha. This episode has been sponsored by the Schiff family in memory of teacher and IDF soldier Yinon Fleischmann, who through the light of who he was brought Ziva Shechina into the lives of those around him. Yinon's qualities will continue to live through his family, his students, and all of those who admired him and who he was. If you would like to sponsor a podcast episode, please contact the Matan office via telephone or email me at podcast at matan.org.il. While there are so many causes right now that need our support, sponsoring an episode is still a meaningful way to mark your occasions. This Breshit series is titled Chosenness and Choices. The book of Breshit is propelled forward by God's chosen representatives, Adam, Cain, Noach, Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, but these messengers impact the world because of the choices they make, and the nexus between being chosen and the human choices that actualize this divine will in the world that we are exploring in these episodes. Today's conversation, as I've been saying in all of my episodes, was recorded on November 7th. Parshad Vayetze opens with Yaakov running from Esav and from the home of his youth. After arriving in Haran, he goes to sleep and has the famous ladder dream, which awakens him to the presence of God in the area he later names Beit El. God promises him progeny and a bright future. Yaakov builds an altar and vows to return. After this, Yaakov comes upon a well covered by a large stone that must be removed to retrieve its water. Miraculously, Rachel shows up at the same well, and Yaakov, in a moment of inspiration, is able to move the stone and provide her sheep with water. They meet, fall in love, and marry. Well, not really. As we know, the story that ensues is somewhat more complex because of social norms, because of a less than transparent father-in-law, and because Yaakov's family life is constantly intertwined with struggle. The Parsha continues with the birth of the tribes, a monumental historical development that takes place against the backdrop of strained family dynamics between Leah and Rachel and between Yaakov and his wives. The rest of the Parsha follows the development of Yaakov's family in the house of Levan. The dealings with the shared flocks again puts Yaakov in this position of being the trickster, likely unintentionally in this particular case. The same atmosphere shrouds over Rachel stealing her father's idols. The family of Yaakov causes distress in the house of Levan to the point that they must leave. Movingly, the Parsha ends with reconciliation. Levan catches up with Yaakov, guided by a divine message to speak kindly, and puts things on the table with Yaakov. It is a moment of familial communication, of desire to end things well, still sorely missing in Yaakov and Esau's relationship. Beautifully, Yaakov's meeting Rachel begins with the removal of a stone from a well, and the Parsha ends here with the erection of a monument symbolizing Yaakov's and Levan's alliance. While Yaakov has many more miles to travel, this moment may be the beginning of a more direct form of dialogue that will surface in small ways in the coming chapters. Today I am joined by returning guest Rabbanit Malibravsky, who teaches Tanakh and Machshevet Yisrael at Michal Mevaseret Yerushalayim, MMY, where she also serves as an in-house social worker. She maintains a clinical practice in Gush Etzion and teaches for Wurzweiler School of Social Work at Hebrew University. Mali, it's a pleasure to have you here. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So today we'll be doing something really different. 
from what we usually do. We're actually a uh, warning for all of our listeners. We're not really going to be speaking about the Parsha. Uh, and as you've seen in the past few weeks, I've been putting up all different kinds of special content. But today, the special content is actually going to be on our Parsha podcast uh, because, of course, it does very deeply relate to Safer Breshit. So, Mali, why don't you explain to us the idea that you had and that I wanted to really roll with uh, in this episode? So, I want to thank you for having me, Yosefa, and thank you for indulging this idea. Um, basically, what happened was that Yosefa had contacted me about joining for this series. And when I read the description of this series that you all heard in the, in the introduction, the idea of um, the Avot being these paradigms for us um, and how we kind of well them for meaning in our own lives, what jumped straight into my mind was the song, Cholem Kmo Yosef, of Hanan Ben-Ari, which basically, um, it's a beautiful song, we'll talk about it, but it goes through many of our biblical heroes, including many in Sefer Breshit, um, and, ta- and basically it's like a, it's a musical embodiment of this theme. And I said, Yosef, could we talk about this song? Because it's exactly what you're talking about. And it, it, like, it wasn't just an intellectual excitement, it, was like it, it moved me emotionally because I find the song so emotionally powerful. And, and I'm and always so game to talk about Hanan Ben-Ari because I think he's a, <laughs> exactly. he's a modern Midrash and poet all in one. So yeah, exactly. I'm always he is. He's a, a, a walking modern Midrash. It's a great, beautiful way to say yeah. it. Yeah. So we will be playing parts of the song interspersed with our explanations. And if copyright allows, we'll also, uh, we'll also put it at the end. But I will say that if you don't know that song, uh, and you're listening to this episode, I would even say pause, pause the episode for a moment and, and listen to the entirety of the song, uh, because everything we'll say after will, will make a lot more sense for those of you who are listening who already know it. So continue on, continue on with us. Okay, so let's, let's get back to the song, Molly. I guess I'll just start by saying that I, the reason that I love the song is because it plays with this idea of um, the concept of the archetype. Right? What, what is an archetype? An archetype is a typical, it, well, an archetype is a model or a motif that we find, you can find it in literature, you can find it in mythology, you can find it in psychology, um, that, that um, repeats over and over. And for me, obviously, the most interesting is the interplay of the human experience and biblical archetypes, because I think it's very true that that is one of the one of the um, the things we're supposed to do when we're learning Tanakh is to see our forefathers and mothers um, as as archetypes for us and our behavior, and we're supposed to mine them for personal meaning. The truth is. Um, can I jump ahead to something that you had said that maybe we were going to touch upon later, which is the idea of Masavot Siman Libanim, right? There's, there's a beautiful midrash that goes through, you know, all the things that Avraham does that his, that his uh, children will do in the future. I think there are other midrashim who do the same thing with Yaakov, and Ramban famously has this idea of Masavot Siman Libanim, and none of us really understand what that means. Like we just, I think when we learn it in Tanakh, you know, class, we think it just means, oh, isn't that cool that history repeats itself? But, but I think there's something much deeper going on here. And um, I think that Hanan Ben-Ari is plugging into it. One of the things I find also so beautiful about what, what Hanan Ben-Ari does is that it's not just that he's saying, oh, let's take a biblical character, find a personality trait, and learn from it. I think that a lot of people do that. That can, you know, I'm sure there are many. Right, like Avram and Chesed, right? And, and Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. And I'm sure that's happening in like classrooms all across the world in all grades. It's that Hanan Ben-Ari, in my personal opinion, gets it so right, 
right? You, you said he's like a walking, you know, he's a, he's a midrash and a poet. He, 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 he gets the archetype perfectly. Mm -hmm. Like he nails it on every single one. And I think we're going to go through a few of them. And full disclosure, as I, as I, as I told Yosefa, Dr. Jordan Peterson has a series on the Bible and one of, he's very into Jungian archetypes. That's like his thing. Like he finds archetypes. And in his biblical series, he explores some of these archetypes. And a lot of my understanding is informed by the archetypes that he uses. The point I'm trying to get to is I think it's right. Like I think it's right, not just from a psychological perspective. I think it's right from a Parshanut perspective. That's why it's so profound. It's like the intersection between like a good Parshanut reading of Tanakh from somebody who clearly knows Tanakh um, with also a good, deep, satisfying explanation of biblical, biblical characters from somebody who clearly has psychological insight. Um, and they'll kind of like putting those two things together so that what we come up with is like, I, I literally can read the Tanakh and come away inspired because I now really believe that I have an insight into Tanakh that is directly relevant to me on a psychological, on, on, a, on a almost, not almost, on an existential level, I found, I found profoundly meaningful. The fact that it's also like, when I, it's just a beautiful song to listen to, it doesn't hurt. You can just play it over and over and over because it's so beautiful. So I just wanna sort of shine a light on something that you said, which is if for someone the word archetype isn't clear, I think that, mm -hmm. and correct me if I'm not understanding correctly, but when we see a whole series of stories about a character, we have Yosef, we have Yaakov, we have Moshe Rabbeinu. There are so many stories and actions that we can draw upon to understand who this person is. The, the, the function of an archetype is to kind of almost not even dilute, but to get to the kernel, right, to the central kernel of what that person represents. Moshe is so many things, okay? David HaMelech is so many things. He's a warrior. He's a poet. He is a husband, not always successfully, right? But he, he's, he's a husband. He has many functions like we all do. But in the end, when you put these kind of stories to writing, which in that way, it's very different than a life lived. When you put it into writing, mm -hmm you this the the nar the narration ends up focusing you sometimes intentionally sometimes unintentionally on on a particular kernel so i would even i would even take izevel i'm gonna take a totally different okay izevel as the wife of wife of achav right she her name itself is maybe yes. from zvul from the god of zvul but it's not just it, yeah sorry her archetype is that she's a jezebel exactly right the word jezebel right. has because has now means something beyond you know her, she's so she's such a powerful archetype that her name became a word. has become synonymous. Also, like Sodom, with, like like sodomy, right? Meaning right. Sodom. These that's are right. it's a whole story. Mm -hmm. You could say a lot about Sodom, other than the fact that they mm -hmm. wanted to physically harm their guests, which also represented their lack of hospitality. But there there are stories and elements of these characters and or a place that become so powerful that they become the kernel that represents all of them, right? So if I look at a, a parent or I look at a spouse, we usually have to be very careful not to do this, right? Because if we do it, it actually harms our relationship with them. I'm, I'm going off here in a psychological tangent, Molly, but you're, but you're nodding. So I'm hoping that I'm on target. So if we do it with a human, we end up often harming our relationship. But when we're looking at it through, right. through literature, or again, in this case, through Tanakh, which is obviously much bigger than literature, it actually helps us to connect something very, very particular in a particular dimension. Maybe there are multiple archetypes in one person's story. Yeah. There are multiple lessons in, in one person's yeah. story, right? But the fact that that 
that you, that it's it's told through a certain lens, right? The one of the messages, because there's Shivim Panam right? Really is a true idea, right? One of the messages we're supposed to get is perhaps this one, right? It reminds me of Soloveitchik when he talks about the difference between Tamay and Mitzvot. He says, "Time of a Mitzvah doesn't mean you've now exhausted the Mitzvah, right? Like, oh, the reason you're not supposed to jaywalk is because X, Y, and Z. No, Time of a Mitzvah is to give you a flavor of this Mitzvah, but there might be so much more in in the Mitzvah itself. There might be 16 different or more, or and or some infinite, you know." metaphysical reason that we can't grab. So we're not looking to exhaust the character. We're looking to understand a, a certain facet of, of universal truth that is embodied by the way the story of the character is told that, can, that, that touches us deeply because that's actually what human archetypes do. These stories have been told. Yeah, I'll just add one more piece yeah. before we go into the actual song, which is that um, both that Midrash and Tanchuma that the Ramban is based on of Masev, Otsim, and the Banim, it's actually many more examples there than what the Ramban brings, which is why it's always so important to go back to uh, to the Midrashic material itself. And also recently there was a beautiful Dvar Torah. I'm, I'm really privileged as a, a, on the faculty at Herzog. Rav Yehuda Brandis sends out a weekly Parsha email, and I, I, I'm always just like, wow, this is like already for a book. And so he actually did... Uh, something kind of like that of a Masev Otsiman the Banim, and just as by way of example, I'll take his, which is where he spoke about how the whole life of Avraham is again a paradigm, or you can say an archetype. Or there's uh, he presents all these paradigms for what kind of relationship we're supposed to have with with non-Israelites, and so it's like well, he really expanded mm -hmm. that idea. It's just like a much broader idea, like the 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 catchphrase of Masev Otsiman the Banim really means something much bigger, totally. not just in terms of how we understand the characters themselves, but also what kind of meaning it has for, for our so, life. So I want to start with Cain. And again, this is not to, to say that any of the other pieces of the verses are, are less meaningful. Every man gets expelled from every Gan human. Eden. Every human gets expelled from Gan Eden. And everybody experiences some sort of flood. Everybody has a hevel in their life. That he is jealous to death of. And everybody has a pillar or a tower of rebellion and confusion uh, inside of themselves. Right? That's our, our right. first so, our first paragraph. Like that is such a powerful line. Everybody has a hevel, right? Everybody is Kayan. Everybody, everybody is that person who has another person in their life that they are jealous to death of. And I think it's so powerful because that's not something we want to admit to ourselves, right? And I think for a lot of us, what is the message of the Kayin story? It's, it's, a, it's, a tough, it's a tough nut to crack. And I think that's, I think, why this one speaks to me. It's because, again, and here I'm, I am borrowing from Jordan Peterson, who explains the story in a way that I'm like, oh, thank you. Now I understand the story of Kayin and Havel. And now that Hanan Ben-Ari said, you, you also have a Havel, that you are jealous to death of. Give us a like, line of how he yes, understands that story. And I'll explain. So basically, what does he say? He says, every person finds themselves wanting in their ability to self-actualize in the perfect way, right? Which is, let's say, for the sake of you know, simplicity, serving God perfectly, 
right? We're all trying to be our best selves, right? That's basically what we're trying to do. We're all, we're all kind, trying to bring our sacrifice to God, right? And we all fall short. It's just part of the human existence is sometimes our sacrifices are not going to be accepted. Okay, and now you're Kayan, and you see somebody else who succeeded, right? Hevel managed, and you don't know why, right? You don't know, right, how Hevel managed to align himself with God in the proper way so that his sacrifice was accepted, and he's doing well, whatever that means, right? Whether that can be externally, that could be internally, right? That can be, you know, his personality, that can be how he's functioning and, but, and, and succeeding in the world, but he's succeeding and you're not. And you're doing something wrong and he's, he's got it right, right? And the question then, when that happens, says, this is again, you know, full credit to Jordan Peterson, you have a, that's where you're at a, a juncture in your life where you can choose to do one of two things, which is the pasuk. Meaning, if you, you know, get your act together, don't look over there, look inside. You've got more work to do. Keep working at it. You will manage, you will figure out how to bring the sacrifice in such a way that I will accept it. But if you don't work on yourself, you're going to go down a dark path. You are going to sin. And then sin, right, or whatever the Pasuk is mm-hmm. for Kayan as opposed to, you know, Chava, um, right? But the point is, sin is crouching, right? that's by Kayan Hevel. Sin is crouching at your door waiting to devour you, right? And it will, it will eat you alive. And basically what he's saying is, if you realize that you're not measuring up and you're imperfect, you can either look inward and do that hard, tough work of self-improvement, or you can find a scapegoat. You can find somebody out there to be jealous of, resentful of, angry about, and that's gonna take you down a very dark path. That's gonna take you down the path you are going to become a Cain. You're going to become a, a murderous monster, right? And you're going to destroy yourself. You're gonna destroy them. You're gonna destroy yourself. You're basically gonna destroy like the, the world, essentially, right? Because Cain's line is the line that ends up, you know, that's the door that becomes the door of the Mabul. Um, and so like on a sort of on a global scale, um, this I'm gonna now bring it into like the time that we're in. I just heard an interview with Douglas Murray who, this, this is how he explained, this is, this is anti-Semitism. This is what anti-Semitism yeah, is. It's scapegoating. Right? It's, it's, it's scapegoating. You're not successful. You're, you're, you're unhappy about something. Why are they successful? What are they doing wrong, right? It's clearly, instead of me figuring out how I have to fix you know, whatever's wrong in my culture or my society or myself or whatever it is, it's so much easier to conspiracy theory, it's them, it's them, they're the reason I'm not successful, yeah. right? And that is the, that is the heart of anti-Semitism. Um, and I, I'm just kind of throwing that in there because it's so relevant yeah. to today's, Clearly. you know, but for me, in terms of like the archetype for ourselves, I just think it's so powerful. It's like, you know, don't do the resentment thing. Don't do the jealousy thing. Don't do the looking outside yourself thing. Or even even better, when you feel that, that's a red light, right? That's a red light of like, I can choose right now. I can be Kayan or I cannot be Kayan. And I can choose instead of, um, you know, going down that path to kind of pull myself together and to make another choice. And I don't know about you, Yosefa, but I have a person in my life. I have a Hevel, Shani Mekanaba Admavet, and for no reason. This is somebody who is ostensibly a friend of mine, right? It's, she, it's just that she does everything that I want to do right, she does it better. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> it's it's just, I'm just being honest. And I, have, I remember a different friend of mine, let's say her name was, I don't know, Rifki. She once said to me, you know that person? She's the perfect Rifki. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, well, we went for the same degree and she got it before me. Her marriage is perfect. Her children are perfect. She's the perfect Rifki. Like, that's what me and my husband call her, right? And so it's like, <laughs> I, I have that in my life too, you know? Like, I have the perfect person. And it's hard for me to sit in public with that person and watch her get everything that, you know, I'm fumbling my words and it's just trickling right out of her mouth and I can't formulate my idea and she just nails it and then everybody's like wow you're so smart and I, I need mekaneba I'd love it you know yeah, what I mean I do know what you mean and it would be okay so we've all got it and it's so like it, it, it's so deep to say like okay okay guess what I'm human you got me you got me Khan Benari and you got me you know I think what Kayan archetype what, and now I I'm gonna I'm gonna breathe and I'm going to learn the lesson, which is, which is, which is helpful. It's helpful that I, I have a lesson to learn to and I have a way of dealing with this instead of pushing it away. And I'm sorry, I'll just end with this last thing because what happens when we don't face these dark sides of ourselves, these shadow sides, right? We, we push them down and we don't look at them and we don't take them out. We don't deal with them. Then they become monsters and they can take us over unconsciously. Yeah. Totally. Ayane uh, Shaman, the Yosef story. Mm-hmm. But I think there's there's two thing, two thoughts. First of all, the the idea that we all have a flood that we go through, it just reminds me very much of a phrase that we used in the last episode we recorded in Parshat Shlach, which was where, like these life quakes um, that you had taken from mm-hmm. Bruce Feiler's work. Anyways, it, it was coming back to me here, this idea Beautiful, of like something yeah. that just like totally, it just drowns you. Uh, that to me was something, and I never, I didn't connect it in the classroom at that moment because it wasn't a place of personal share. But very much the experience of grief for me is the experience of of that kind of flooding. For other people, they're flooded by anxious thoughts. Um, for me, that first experience in life of feeling like I've literally been hit with by a wave, like I would imagine in the ocean, which is a pleasurable experience, was that experience of grief. I think it's also interesting to note as we move on to the next section of his song, is that he picks... I wouldn't say negative in a bad way, but he picks uh, all paradigms of struggle, which is also Kanan Benari, which is why I like him. He's not he's not Ishe Ribo. He's not where things always fit in a nice package. He's much more of like Shirei Mecha'a or some sort of like protest music or music that really tries to get into the, the grit and the the grime of like the difficulty of life. So I will just notice that the paradigms he chooses here, he could pick many other paradigms, you know, of, of love or, or different things in the book of Rashid, but he obviously very purposely picks paradigms that have to do with with struggle. And and then the next paragraph in the song is or is moving into Avraham. I would say also he he's chronological until he isn't, just by way of just looking mm-hmm. at the song. So the next paragraph is Every person has to leave his father's home. Everybody almost, this one had these explanation. Everybody, yes, like, no. everybody, stab me in the heart. Why don't you? Everybody almost yeah. uh, sacrifices their son. Amok bifnim yesh 
קטנה שהוא רק רוצה למחוק כבר. Everybody has a little stone in their heart that they just want to erase. ויש מלאכים שימלטו אותו. But there also are the angels or the messengers along the way who can retrieve you from that space. I first of all want to say that I completely agree with you. Hanan Ben-Ari, you, you know, you called him gritty and, and struggly. I think he's just honest. Totally. Yeah, right? no, he's it's the same thing for me. Totally. But yeah. It's the same thing. It is the same thing. <laughs> I agree. It is the same thing. And it's, it's just so powerful. And I agree with you as opposed to Yishai Yubo, who, you know, we love Yishai Yubo and we love his songs and we love his midrash. But it's true. He will focus on inspiring and positivity. And Hanan Ben-Ari is not afraid to say matzah or tzemimeni, yeah. like, you know, and all those things. Okay. But I will say, even in this song, right, this is actually very, the, the, mu- the music is very positive and We'll get to it, but the chorus of Ani Cholem Kmo Yosef, Kmo David and Yosem Izem Izmor, he does end on a positive note as well. Mm-hmm. All I'll say about this is, Kol Adam Holech Lumi Beit Abba, as Avraham, um, that, is the, that is the most human archetype. That is the hero's journey, yes. right? That is the, the call to adventure that happens in every single person's life, which is, um, can you leave your comfort zone and, and leave and, and go out into your unique life, right? And again, we don't have to, in the interest of time, everybody Google Heroes Journey. We spoke Google about it in, the previ- in the episode, uh, pre- exactly, two episodes right? ago. Exactly, right? So that's it. Yeah. That's it. So we don't have to say more. That's, but, but again, like, it's just so wise that he says, like, that's beautiful midrash, because there's always that question, why is, why is Terach? Like, they go halfway with Terach, and then Terach's left, and why is Terach there? Of course Terach has to be in the story, because the story of Avraham, and again, this is a Jordan Peterson par- paraphrase, is like, get out of your parents' basement and go live your own life, right? Which is, which is like a very, you know, modern way of saying it, right? But like, that's Avraham. It's, he is the ultimate knight, right? That's what Kierkegaard calls him, the knight of faith, who like goes out on his hero journey. Wow, does he have dragons to slay? But he becomes our paradigm for what it means to be a Jewish person. But we're going to move on, right? Really, I think, means that and I'm only mentioning it now because when we talk about Rachel and Moshe, um, I think it ties in that we as parents, in, in the most well-meaning way, we have so much potential to destroy our children, not by, not consciously, but through our love for them and for wanting them to be, be like us. And we, we, we all can by accident kill our children, but we'll get to that later. And the stone thing here, again, we'll, we'll just kind of quickly run through this so we can get to the next next one, but I also think it's so beautiful. We all have inside of us a stone, that, right? There's the shadow side that I mentioned before. We've all got a shadow side. We've all got a monster. We can all become terrible people. We don't want to look at it, right? We just want to destroy might, by it. By the way, it might also be a but, reference to, to, to shadowy sexuality. I don't know if he meant that, but I think that that's a very important element of, of what stone represents. So it, it, all, all the shadowy sides, Nahum. yeah. Things you don't want to look at, yeah. all the dark things you don't want to look at inside of us. But the Vyesh Malachim Shim Latuoto is like, don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of it. Yeah. You also have a non shadow side, and if you integrate, in, integrate the two sides, you will come out stronger. I'll also, you know, it might like, also be a reference, which I don't even know if Hanan Ben Ari meant this, but it reminds me always of this concept that uh, Rabbi Sachs writes in his book Morality that, like, where self help has its limits, sometimes you just need help because you can't actually help yourself. Mm-hmm. And so these malachim Beautiful. represent the fact that. You, there are people in our lives, external to us, that are there to help us, and yeah. we can't always be our biggest resource. It just doesn't always work like mm-hmm. that. Right. So I see it both ways because I think you're totally right, but I think he's also saying like, don't be afraid of yourself. Yeah, you're saying you it's also, stone, internal- also internalized. Uh, yeah. Very nice. Okay, right. so we move on to the chorus of the song. <laughs>
וגם אני חולם כמו יוסף, וכן גם אותי זרקו לבור, and he says, I also dream like Yosef, and I was also thrown into the pit. גלגל חוזר בתוך תחפושת, it's a cycle in disguise, וכמו דוד, אני עושה מזה מזמור, עושה מזה מזמור, and like David, I turn it into a song, right? I turn it into a psalm. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think this is the heart of what we're saying, right? This, he, he says it here and he says it again at the end of the song where he says, first of all, it's just a beautiful idea, right? I'm a dreamer just like Yosef. We all are, right? We all have dreams that we want to actualize in our lives, right? We, again, we can talk about this for 25 minutes, but we won't. I'm just saying right? that we'll someone with the name Yosef is something I've thought about that often. <laughs> there you go. Beautiful, right? Um, and it's not easy to actualize your dreams, but keep dreaming, right? It's also not right? easy to have the name Yosef, and I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> It's a be- I think it's a beautiful day. <laughs> moving on, moving on. We'll, we'll talk about therapy moving later. On. Yeah, we're okay. Exactly. But Gamotiz Akubabor, we'll leave that to everybody. What, what pit have people thrown you into, right, in your life? But the Galgal Chazer B'toch Tachposet, that's the idea of the song, yeah. right? These are the archetypes. Where it's, it's, the, it's every time it's a different picture, right? Sometimes I'm David, and sometimes I'm Moshe, and sometimes I'm Rachel, and sometimes I'm Devorah, and sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm Avraham, and sometimes I'm Lod, and sometimes... It's a Galgal Chazer that we're all experiencing, and that every individual experiences in every generation. It's the Galgal is Chazer in each one of our lives, you know, for, for in, in each one of our generations over history. And that's why I love the Tachpos said. It also makes me think of Esther, who we mentioned before, mm. right? It's a little different because your body is a little different than my body and your life is a little different than, than my life. But the Tachpos said, just kind of unpeel it and you're going to find yourself under there. And then the Ukmo David and Yosemi Zemizmor is so beautiful. It's like, I am making my life a song. So that's like my song, right? The, the individuality. But I think that the Mizmor, the praise to God, is also like... I'm making my, my life a song of praise to God, which is, again, I'm going to self-actualize as best as I can in light of figuring out what God wants from me uniquely, right? And this is something which we can touch on now or later, which is, yes, the archetypes are universal, but the way in which I express it is uniquely mine. So it's my unique song. And that's what I think is, that interplay I think is so beautiful like this. It's not, you know, We're all playing out, you know, the same story over and over, and it's a Kohelet message. Not at all. It's we're each finding our own unique spark and, and voice, and it, we all make our own unique song. And that's why I think it's such an empowering and beautiful song. I'll say two things. One is that often in the, when I teach students, I, I speak a lot about that a lot of times when we learn is our goal is to find language within the mikorot, within our sources, within our heritage, to describe the things that we're experiencing in our life, meaning it's part of what makes it, it relevant. It's not always because I'm being dictated to exactly what I should do, but there's meaning in even framing my life through the frame of generations before me, through those mikorot, through that being, you know, part of the natural language that I, that I think and process the world with. Uh, and, and that's true, and that's why I think it's powerful that we have here someone like Hanan Menari who's looking at his life through the prism of, of these paradigms. But that exactly is my question I also threw out to you as we were thinking about this episode, was that there's also, there sometimes could be, if I would say a danger, but there could be a minimizing effect of, of looking at your life through previous paradigms. Meaning, of course, we need to be anchored in our past. But when we try and read politics, right? Oh, well, everyone's just a lake, for example. And again, relevant today's times. When we're trying to, to read all of that into our current reality, sometimes we run the risk of possibly uh, oversimplifying what's going on. We run the risk of, of missing out on important nuances that on a political Political level might be significant. Uh, on the other hand, I will just say that so many people now have been saying and writing 
They never felt like Sefer Tehillim was more relevant to their life, meaning they've like rediscovered all this poetry, right? You thought Sadiq and Rasha were old, old-fashioned terms? Voila, they're back in fashion. Do you know, like meaning all these things right. that sometimes made, let's say, Sefer Tehillim feel far from us, all of a sudden, you know, lag vekeles bagoyim, it's like, oh yeah, mockery amongst the nations of the world. Like all, all, all of these, you know, a lot of these phrases have sort of come back. So... I am with you, and obviously I live my life, right? My life work is an embodiment of what we're saying. But I do also just want to acknowledge that one has to be careful on a on a practical level to not sometimes overuse paradigms, which then will make them lose sight of what they need to do right now in this actual moment of time, because we're not living 2,000 years ago. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's totally right, and it's a dance. I just read uh, Robert McTowell's piece on the, on the 1973 war and the Yom Kippur War, mm-hmm. and he opens by saying exactly this. He's like, on the one hand, we're prohibited, let's say. We're, we're warned against finding simple reasons for events. This happened because of that, and at the same time, we are also told to try to find meaning, historical meaning, in, in the patterns of our lives. He's like, so I'm going to go right, right ahead and do it. And then he does. He like jumps right into the, you know, the Yom Kippur War and gives his understanding of it. And so I think we're always dancing on that edge, which is exactly what you're saying. Like, what does it mean? Like, there's this belief, I, this is how I live my life, which is the belief that like, this is a font of truth and wisdom. And if I'm having a problem with something, maybe it's because I don't fully understand it yet. To me, like the, the gesture of profound um, like fidelity to the, that there's truth in here. Maybe I don't always understand the messages and maybe I have to put some question marks and I have to be super careful not to, as you said, become you know, what, what, what the Rav calls the uh, unredeemed religious drive where I know what God is saying 100% and therefore I can act on it. That's what leads to fanaticism and that's really dangerous. Mm-hmm. I agree with you 100% that we have to figure out how to how to find that balance. Okay, so let's sure. let's take us into the, the next paragraph in okay. our sort of winding down in our paradigms. Yeah. <laughs> Right, every every one is like Queen Esther, uh, and can take down any army that comes, like Dvorah. Everybody cries in secret, like Rachel, and like Moshe on Harnavo. Okay, let's let's go into those. Okay. So, uh, you know, in terms of Esther and Dvorah, I just want to say, like, thank you, Chan Ben Arif, for throwing in two women, you yeah, know? He clearly like, made an clearly effort. He made, was, an effort. he made an yeah. effort. And uh, thank you. Like, just remind us all that we can all be queens, you know? And, like, the warrior that you choose to use is, is a woman. Yeah. You know, that was a thanks. Nice nod. Love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. But the, the lines that really hit me here are, right? We all cry in the night in silence, like Rachel. And then he does this really interesting thing where he throws us for a loop and says, and Moshe on Harnavo. And it's like, what, what does he mean here? And so very quickly, I want to, I want to kind of explain how, what I think he means here. Um, I think that Rachel is the paradigm of the mother who sacrifices for her children and even more so watches her children sacrifice. Right, that's Rachel Nevaka al Baneha. Right, and 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 when you think of Rachel crying, why is Rachel crying? I don't know if he's referring to a specific midrash or he's just imagining like this idea that Rachel gives up, 
Yaakov to Leah in the beginning. Rachel, you know, that's to me. I, I feel like it's because she's crying in, in, in you know, Baseter. Because why else is she crying in, in hiddenness? She cries maybe when her children are born. That's not Baseter. That's the Galoi. That's open. Um, but this idea of like this, this, this hidden crying that you don't share with others. Um, and again, the reason I think it's about, wow, I realize that I have to give up my children, right? And that part of of having children is is, is having to let them go. The reason I think that's what he means here is because of the Kamo Moshe Baharnavo, right? Like Moshe is, like apparently Moshe is also crying Beseter on Harnavo, right? Harnavo is where Moshe Rabinu dies and where Moshe Rabinu was told like, sorry, you can see her, it's Israel, but you can't go in, right? And so there's this like idea here of like, I take you to the edge. These are Moshe's children, he even yeah, and says. Like, and also Rachel dies in childbirth, so she's not able to see her children grow, right? So they're, exactly. they're both these, like, these parental yeah. figures who... Don't exactly. actually get to parent to their full capacity. Exactly. And they, they don't get to see, right? They don't get to fulfill what they want to do with their lives. It's not just that they don't get to see their children fulfill it. It's that they themselves, right, are cut short. Their lives are cut mm-hmm. short. So, so what's that about, right? So here I want to tread very delicately because I think we're all very sensitive right now about this. So I'm not going to take it to its most extreme place. I'll, I will be very broad. But just in terms of parenting... This idea of knowing that part of, and this goes back to Kemat Oketet, mm-hmm. no, that part of parenting is letting your child go out into the world. And that that might be scary, and that might sometimes be dangerous, but don't be, to talk about the archetype, but don't be the devouring mother, right? The devouring mother archetype is the one who, you know, loves their child so much that she never lets him go, right? And, and keeps him bound, to, tied to her apron strings, essentially, mm-hmm. right? Don't be the devouring mother. Let your child go. That's sad because because we we have to you know it's sad we you know uf gozal let let them fly is hard for us parents now you know but it's also scary because you're sending them out into the unknown um, and some and it's and again you know <laughs> whatever they're, they're crying both Moshe and Rachel I'll leave it there because I don't want to go to any places that are too scary <laughs> let's go to like the like you know happy Rachel when she hopefully there's also some type of like it doesn't only have to end in misery there can be also, also you know that our, returning that our sons. children can achieve so many successes that we would never even have imagined for them because they're simply mm-hmm. moving uh-huh. moving beyond what we ever exactly. could have possibly done ourselves. Yeah. That's yeah. And Moshe and Harnavo, it's not like you know I'm a ma- you know everybody feels so sorry for Moshe Rabbeinu, but like I'm sure he's okay up there in Shemaim. Yeah, you know, <laughs> he looks at Am Yisrael and like what he achieved. I'm sure the, big, the bigger picture is that, as you said, like the joy and the pride is are greater than that sadness about what about the, you know, what he had to give up on, his, on a personal level. I will just say that we didn't speak about the, the videography of the video itself that he films, but the film is like you feel like you're kind of in a tornado. And again, the point is, which I never thought about until we like were thinking about this conversation, is that you feel like you're literally being spun around the whole time. He videos the he videos the whole thing with his literally with his iPhone. That's the video you see on the internet. It wasn't edited any more professionally than that. He he films it with his iPhone and which will connect in a moment to the last stanza, but the way that it is he's like running and so you feel like you're like running through history and that like sort of really illustrates how we're all a part of like this continual cycle. So like it's also dizzying but it's very purposeful. Kolechat 
הוא חומר טוב לסרט תפקיד חדש בתוך סיפור עתיק יומי So the last stanza goes, כל אדם נברא בצלם, גחל בוער וסודות ורמזים, a burning ember um, of, uh, of secrets and, and hints are sort of like mysteries. כל אחד הוא חומר טוב לסרט, everybody is good material for a video, or we, we used to say you are material for a novel. תפקיד חדש בתוך סיפור עתיק יומין, a new role in an ancient story. Yeah, so by you were mentioning the... Um You know, the way that the song is composed, it reminded me that I, another thing I wanted to mention was that the song begins with a flute, right? Before, yeah. like, the song actually starts with this really powerful, you know, kind of, you know, joyous music, there's just a flute playing, which kind of pulls you into this fairy tale archetypal mood. I think that's why he did that, right? It makes me think of, like, Sipur Masio de Rabbi Nachman, right? It's like... I'm here to tell you about fairy tales, about myths. That's, so I just wanted to mention that. And just to end with this, as you said, you, you make a great movie. You've got your, every single person has their, you're the hero of your story. You are the hero of your journey. And yet, Tafkir Khadash Bitoch Sipur Atik Yamin, right? You have your unique story to tell, and it's part of the endless chain of the Jewish people, um, which again, I think speaks to us so powerfully now as, as we're fighting, right? And, and I know that this is something they're using to like, help our soldiers. It's like, you know, you're, you're, you're part, you know, you're, you're the, you, you are the soldiers of the generations of the Jewish people. Um, but even, you know, not to take it to that place, but just, again, this idea of, give, of, of grounding us, and, you know, the Rev talked about this, of, of grounding us in, in time and in space as so unique and having something so unique to, to give to the world, but we're not alone. We're, 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 a, we're a unique uh, link in an endless chain that has meaning, and that grounds us in, in, in purposefulness and meaning that's beyond just our individual purpose, purposefulness. I think also it's a really important message in light of the extreme individualism that we have in the world today, that it's fine to think that you're one in a million, to take a line from other songs, right? To, to figure out, you know, what's so uniquely, uniquely unique about you. But the, the part where people get lost in is if they can't figure out how to connect themselves back to the universality of, of, of the world, of themselves, of their religious traditions, if they have them. That, that's where I think things have started to, get, to go really, really wacky. There, there has to be an element of grounding. And so I love that combination where like Hanan Menari himself is somebody who he, he is a unique creator right now uh, in the world. His music is really, is really different. It's, you know, we didn't mention uh, here, but it's part of this tremendous renaissance of, of music in Israel, of music that is both reflects belief and religious orientation even sometimes, but that is universal. It's really striking everybody in, in a place that makes it go far beyond just like the religious community. And And he's able to do that because of the universality of, of everything he speaks about. And so I think that, you know, as long as we're able to ground ourselves in, in the past, in our archetypes, in our Jewish language, uh, I think that figuring out what your piece of that story is, is also going to be incredibly, it's going to be even more meaningful and more everlasting than if it was just something that was a branch standing on its own. And it's unifying, which is, I think, something everybody's looking for right now. It's like we're all part of this story. Maybe we all have different roles to play, right? But, but we're all part of the same story. So let's remember that and not go down the, you know, as you said before, like, let's take the Yosef story to a positive place and not to a place of, and all the stories, all our stories, let's take them to places of growth and not to places of pilug, of separation, you know, and of unity. 
Molly, thanks for being here today. This was um, different and really meaningful. Thank you. Thank you very much. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One-on-One Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Please do one-on-one and women's Torah learning a small favor by sharing this podcast with family and friends so that we can reach new listeners. You can stream and download these episodes on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Matan's website. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review in the comments. Please send us any feedback at podcast at matan.org.il. That's podcast at matan.org.il. Thanks for listening, everyone.